As I said before, um, we're beginning a new sermon series today on what is the role and the qualifications of elders and deacons from Scripture. So hear now God's word from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. This is the word of the Lord. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those into your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is so clear about your vision for elders and deacons. Lord, I pray as we look at the elders today, Lord, help me. Help me accurately open up your word, and I pray for their hearts, Lord, that you would prepare their hearts, you give them humble, teachable hearts to receive your word. They would bear good fruit in their lives. And in this church, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I want to begin with this question. How essential is having elders? How essential is it? I mean, don't you really already have enough authorities in your life? Do you really need one more? Many of you would probably say no. But then now, others of you, you think about the idea of becoming an elder. And you're like, one more commitment. I have way too many, I'm I'm a pie divided in too many pieces. Why would I ever want to become an elder? I have a busy life already. And then I'm going to take on other people's burdens? Here, why don't I worry about my family and you worry about your family? Right? Isn't ignorance bliss? We all just smile at each other and we pretend like everything's good. You become an elder and you're going to find out the marriages that are broken, the people that are really hurting. You really want that? Okay, now you know why we need this sermon. Right? Because there's a stack of reasons why half of you don't even want elders and the other half of you don't want to become one. So that's why we need this sermon and this, this passage today. I mean, if you look at page 7, you see the outline. Now i got a surprise for you, as I had a surprise for myself. I was preparing yesterday, or doing final prep, and I realized, you know what? I actually have two sermons. And so I have two choices. I can either preach to you two sermons this morning, or save the rest for next week. I know which one you all would prefer. And so this week we're going to preach the first point. And uh, so if you, did, if you didn't get that pen, you definitely want it. You're going to need to write on your bulletin. Okay, you need to write four words. So under point one, we have four subpoints. Hey, this is your second chance. If you didn't get a pen before and you need one, raise your hand and we'll find one for you. If anyone needs one. All right, so four words. So under shepherd the flock, write knowing, feeding, leading, and protecting. I'll say this again. Knowing, feeding, leading, and protecting. So that's what we'll be looking at. So as we look at shepherding the flock, Oh, I have a question. Do you know who the Catholics say was the, the first pope? First pope was? That's what they say. But you know what? There's someone that disagrees with that. Peter. That's funny. 
All right, look at verse 1. So look at what he says in verse 1. He says, so I, this is Peter talking. So I exhort the elders among you as what? A fellow elder. Well, now that's interesting. So here's the great apostle Peter, and he has placed himself on a level playing field with the elders he's writing to. That doesn't sound too much like a great pope to me. He wasn't. He said that there's this, between the apostles and the elders in these early churches, there was an equality. He's saying, I'm a fellow elder. <clears throat> now that's significant even for understanding our own church structure. So as you know, I'm a pastor. Brandon's a pastor. In the PCA, we understand that the authority between all pastors and elders is equal. I get one vote and they get one vote. Even now, as we have borrowed elders from other churches, we met last week. I got one vote, they got one. I can't do anything on my own. This is our form of government. Why in the world would we do this? I could just be a lot easier if I could make my own decisions. But this is what we see in the New Testament. We see this. You might even hear that our term, in, instead of a pastor, I'm often called a teaching elder because I'm an elder. And so when we um, bring up elders, we're going to call them ruling elders, right? So I also rule, but I primarily teach. They also do some teaching, but they especially rule. You'll hear this abbreviate often, T-E and R-E. T-E, teaching elder, R-E, ruling elder. You'll also hear the term plurality of leadership, really important to us. Where do we get this? Acts 15, you don't have to go there, but if you were to read that chapter, what you'd find is, there's a problem, a dispute in the church. How are they going to handle it? Do the apostles just lay down the law? No. They gather all the elders and the apostles. Here, I'll read a verse to you. This is 15, Acts 15, 6. The apostles and the elders gathered together to consider this matter. So how did they resolve it? They gathered together, they decided the matter, and they all went back and said to all the churches, this is the authoritative decision we've decided. This is, as... This is where we get Presbyterianism. So let me, let me just lay out the three. This is a very short version of how the Presbyterian works, government works. So in our local church, we, we make decisions with the elders. Okay, so we will each get a vote. Okay, so it's, it's a flat leadership. But then all the churches, we did this last week in the area, in the low country, met last week down in Charleston. And then this is called the Presbytery. And so all, and then is there like a bishop over all this? No. We all, all the elders and pastors in all those churches, all get one vote. Then once a year, in June, Brandon and I are going to go to Memphis and for the whole nation. But is there a pope there? No. It's all the elders and pastors of all the churches and all the PCA churches in America, they all get one vote. Do you see how that's structured? So at each level, there's a plurality of leadership. This is what we see in the New Testament. And so this is what we've done. Titus 1.5 says this, it says, this is Paul writing to Titus, he says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put in order what remains. And do what? Appoint elders in every town as I've directed you. So it could be said to us, and it has been said to us, Nathan in Cain Bay, appoint elders. And so here we are. We're going to study this together. And then you're going to nominate, and then we'll train them, and then we'll elect them. Oh, but look at this. In that Titus passage, he says, appoint elders couple verses later, verse 7, he says, for an overseer, now we're talking about elders or overseers. He's using them synonymously. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He goes on into the qualifications. We'll look at that in future weeks. Right now, today, we're looking at the role. What's, what do we do? 
the, the, the Greek word for overseer is episkopos. We get the word bishop from that. So they got it, okay? So you have overseer. We know how the Catholics say, right? The bishop is above the elders, right? So they rule over an area. But that's interesting because this passage in First Timothy or um, Titus uses them synonymously, elder and bishop. In our passage today, you say, look at verse 2. It says, shepherd the flock. So he's saying to elders, but then he says, exercise oversight. Oversight is the same Greek, a different form of the same word, oversight, overseer, episkopos. So in both of our passages, 1 Peter 5 and Titus 1, you see terms being used interchangeably, elder or presbyteros, which is where we get Presbyterian from, and bishop or episkopos is overseer. Isn't it interesting? You might wonder that. Why? Why do we not? I mean, it'd be way easier. You said one guy make all the decisions. But it's much more dangerous. It's much more safer to have a plurality of leadership, and God set it up that way. Okay, let's continue with our passage. So what's his instruction? Peter says in verse 2, What are they to do? Elders are to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. I know this analogy of sheep and shepherds is standard Bible language. It's all through the Old Testament. The Psalms use it. You heard of Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. That's right. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He is our shepherd. Then the prophets say that Israel's leaders are shepherds. Ezekiel 34, the shepherds of Israel. But there's tons. I get, there's not time. Through the Old Testament, over and over, sheep and shepherds. God really likes this. We'll unpack why. But yet in the New Testament, in our very passage, Jesus is called the chief shepherd. Now before we look at what actually a shepherd does, do you believe you even need a shepherd? Do you believe that you need a shepherd? Think about that for a second. Do you need a shepherd? Now I'm going to recycle a line. Some of you know well, some think that they need a shepherd like a fish needs a bicycle. Is that the way it is? Who needs a shepherd? Come on, aren't we adults here? We're self No. I mean, what do you know about sheep? Sheep are not self-sufficient at all. As an animal, they're very defenseless against predators, easily frightened. There's not time to tell you all the ways that sheep are very dependent on a shepherd. And he could have used the analogy of father and son. I mean, that's a great analogy, right? We respect our parents, but he didn't. He used shepherd and sheep. You need a child, you children, you're going to grow up and one day you'll be an adult, just like your father, right? Does a sheep ever grow up? No, right? A sheep is always dependent. So God's saying you will all, you're never going to grow up. That's what he's saying, right? You'll never stop needing a shepherd. And don't misunderstand. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a shepherd, but I'm also a sheep. I need people shepherding me. I have a fickle heart just like yours, Right? We never stop needing people to help us spiritually. This is the picture that Scripture gives us. This is the picture that um, Peter gives us. Now, many authors have, have laid down ways of explaining this. But if you just think about what, what an action... I know none of you are shepherds, right? You've never seen a shepherd. But imagine. What do they do? Kids, imagine. What does a shepherd do for the sheep? Maybe he feeds them, right? Maybe he protects them. He leads them. A, a Christian shepherd does all those same things. Now, there's different ways we can break this down. 
Uh, one author has said provision, protection, guidance. The um, paradigm I'm using comes from uh, Timothy Whitmer's great book, The Shepherd Leader. So you probably already have it written down, knowing, feeding, leading, and protecting. We're going to look at those. And I'm also going to look at some I'm from a, a macro perspective and a micro. Macro means big, micro means little. All right, so let's look at that first one, knowing. Knowing, how, how does a shepherd know his sheep? Well, on a macro level, it's I have to know who are my sheep. So I look across this room, and I have to know who are the sheep? Who are people that I'm responsible for? The primary way we do this is through membership. The people that have committed themselves and say, I'm committed to be under the authority of the church. I want to be a part of this church. That's why there's church membership. You don't have to have church membership, just like you don't have to have a wedding ceremony. Right? In other cultures, they haven't always done that. But it's a, it's a very clear way. We know when you're married, right? The same is true. You know when you're a member of a church. You're committed to be part of it. And so I know, if you commit to me, then I'm responsible for you. A shepherd must know on a macro level his sheep. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those, hear this, and actually I need to hear this, as those who will have to give an account, I must give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to them. Who must I give an account for? The members of the church. Now, this is a reason that we strongly encourage you to consider joining our church. And if, if it doesn't fit, it's fine. Let's connect you with another church you can really commit to. We live in an age where commit, um, being committed is not a popular thing, right? We don't want to like actually RSVP, like, ah, I'm going to hedge my bets and just decide the last day, right? It's just the way our culture is. It's getting worse. If you watch it, if you're generations, you see the younger generation, like, will anyone just commit to something? Right? It's just true. And, and our parents said the same thing about us, right? But we must commit, and so that's the way we know. But what about a micro level? What does it look like for a shepherd to know their sheep on a micro level? It's very relational. It's very relational. Jesus said this in John 10. He said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I laid in my life for the sheep. A shepherd must know the sheep, and his sheep must know him. I mean, this morning, I'm not preaching to a bunch of strangers. I know most of you, actually, very, very well. And, and many of you know me. You know some of my strengths and some of my weaknesses. And this is a two-way street. It's so much better. A shepherd must know their sheep. It helps for you in, in your listening. It helps for me in my preaching. Right? And so a shepherd must know the sheep. One of our core values as a church is real friendships. We really want to know each other well and still love each other. Right? It's true. Those that really know each other, we know all kinds of stuff about each other. Stuff we don't want anyone else to know. Right? But we love each other. That's what a real friendship is. That is a core value, and a shepherd must do that. He must model that with the sheep. One of the great things about plurality is, even Brandon and I, if I was by myself, I'd have a lot more sheep. But we divided up all the members in half. That's great. And so as we get more more elders, that's what we'll do. And so when an elder comes on, they aren't shepherding every sheep, but one chunk of them. But they must know them. One of the ways we do this is annual shepherding visits. If you're a member and you've been around at least a year, you've experienced this. Many of you have shared of how grateful you are for that process 
of us coming into your home and just asking you lots of questions and saying, how can we pray for you? What's going well? What are you anxious about? Right? It's a way that we can know the sheep. We'd love to do that for all of you. But it is those who've committed. I have no business. If you just show up, I'm not going to come in your home and ask you a bunch of questions. But if you commit to join this church, then I know you're here to stay. And so I better, if I'm going to have to give an account for you, by golly, I better actually ask how you're doing. I mean, would a shepherd, like, never get close to a sheep? Sadly, you look at big churches. Big churches, you're just a number. Do the shepherds know those sheep? Sadly, it's really hard. Often in really good big churches, they get a ton of elders. They have 75 elders. And I was around a church in Charlotte that did that. I mean, if you've got several thousand people, you better have a lot of elders. And so they each take a little chunk to shepherd. It's possible to take that seriously as a big church, but it's very difficult. Okay, so we must nurture and care for the flock. Okay, so in addition to knowing, we must feed. So the second piece of that is feed. Hey, kids, what do you think sheep eat? Sheep eat grass, that's right. What do Christians eat? The Bible, that's right. That's right. We eat the Bible. And so if a shepherd is to feed the sheep, we need to give the sheep the word of God. 1 Timothy 3.2 says, Therefore an overseer must be able to teach. Able to teach, one of the qualifications. We'll look at that in a few weeks. The reason is, is because they've got to feed the sheep. Titus 1.9, He must hold firm, this is of elders, to the trustworthy words taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. Elders have authority over, and a duty to, protect the doctrinal purity of the church. Whose job is it? It's the elders. If I go off the rails with my preaching, who's to hold me accountable? The other elders. To say, ah, the Bible doesn't say that. That's why it's important to have elders who can actually hold a pastor accountable to what he says. And the teaching is not just for me or Brandon. It includes all elders, but there's many ways to teach. We have Sunday school, missional community, many ways to teach. But elders are to teach. In a couple of weeks, we'll look at the office of deacon. In Acts 6 is when the, the office of deacon is created. Let me read you a verse from that. This is 6.4. We, being the elders, will devote ourselves to two things, he says. To prayer and the ministry of the word. There were needs that were arising. They said, if we do those, we're not going to be able to be faithful to pray and the ministry of the word, to teach the word. And so they raised up deacons. Deacons were created so that the word didn't suffer and prayer didn't suffer. Now, one of those four, um, prayer isn't one of them. It's actually in all of them. If you're going to do any of those well, you must be a man of prayer. Elders must pray for the sheep. So, that's teach, or feeding. All right, what's the third one? Leading. So, additionally, elders must lead the sheep. What does it look like on a macro level? This is decision-making, decision-making, vision-setting, vision-casting. That's the role of the elders. But remember, all authority is derived. Me and when we have other elders, the, the authority we have came from Jesus. Remember Great Commission? He said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to the elders. No, he didn't say that. It belongs to Jesus. Jesus is the head of the church. And so all elders must realize he is the head of the church. Every decision we're making, we're, we're submitting it to Christ. It's delegated authority. Okay, that's a macro level. What about a micro level? What does it look like 
to lead the church on a micro level. This looks like discipleship. If you're familiar with our church, it's another of our core values. You're going to see this pattern in a few minutes of core values and what elders do. So discipleship, to purposefully be involved in the spiritual growth of another person. This has been one of my greatest joys in life. In college, I was introduced to this, and ever since then, I've always had people pouring into my life, and I've been pouring into other people's lives, even when I was working in industry. I'd find someone to spend time with. I was a little bit younger in the faith than me, and someone older. This is a great joy to do, particularly when they're teachable. When someone wants to grow, it's way more fun. And you know this with kids, right? When you have a child that really wants to grow and mature, it's so much more fun. And the same is true in discipleship. This is what it looks like. Shepherds should be discipling the flock. It is the way that we lead them. Ephesians 4 says this well. In verses 11 and following, it says, And he gave the apostles and prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to do what? To equip the saints for the works of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, till we may all attain to the unity of the faith. So what are elders and shepherds and teachers to do? To build up the body of Christ. This is really important to us. This was important to Jesus. He did a lot of discipleship. The apostles did a lot of discipleship. It's still important now in our church. Discipleship is central. But there's another aspect. It almost got missed. It was added this morning at maybe 8 o'clock of leading. I was looking at another book um, on elders. I have a number of books on this that have been very helpful. And, uh, and let me describe what it is. There's another aspect of, in addition to decision-making and discipleship, what else is a church leader, I'm sorry, what else does the church need to be led in? Think back about the Great Commission. So after he said, all authority has been given to me, what did he say next? Go and make disciples. God, or Jesus commissioned believers to go and make disciples. I just want you to imagine a military leader, a commander, he's on the front lines, okay? And what would that guy be responsible for? Maybe the health of, of, his, of his crew, right? His troops? Um, making sure that they had the supplies they needed, um, the housing they needed. Is there anything else he might want them to do? Have you ever been in the military? Um, maybe their mission. Right? If they've been given a mission, if he's been commissioned to do something, he ought to make sure to do it. Has the church been commissioned to do anything? Absolutely. You know, I love all of you in this room, but God loves people that are outside. They're asleep right now in their homes in Cane Bay, and one day they will be sitting in here, or actually hopefully in there. God has a mission. Has he not commissioned us? Whose job is it to make sure to deploy the troops to accomplish the mission? It is the shepherd's job. Part of leading is to help people live missionally. Ooh, that sounds like a core value. To live on mission. Whose job is it to help the church mobilize the church? It is the elders. It is the elders. In the great book called Gospel Eldering, the book I was looking at at 8 this morning, Robert Toon, I'm not sure how you pronounce his last name, said this. He said, an elder has a missional life. Is to have a missional life. He's to have a missional heart, a missional skill. An elder shapes a missional church culture. An elder leads the church toward cross-cultural mission. You see, it's not only to lead in discipleship and making decisions, but it's to lead missionally. It's a key part. Jesus said in Matthew 9, He looked at the crowds. He had compassion on them. They were sheep without a shepherd. And He turns, and He looks His disciples in the eyes, and He says, what does He say? 
The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray, there's prayer again, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out labors into his harvest field. Jesus had compassion. There's a lot of sheep out there that are wandering around in trouble. Is that not true? Who is going to send the believers out there? It is the leaders of the church. So we have how elders shepherd the flock, knowing them, feeding them, leading them. What's missing? Protecting them. Protecting them. Who do they need protecting from? Let me introduce you to your first enemy. It is yourself. First enemy that you need protecting from is you. You are dangerous for yourself. You know that? The Bible says so. You know of your three big enemies? The devil, the world, and the? The flesh. The flesh that refers to is the sinful part of you. Even when you became a Christian, you kept that. Right? You still have an inclination. I still have an inclination to sin. Don't you? You need protecting from that. Part of a shepherd's job is to help protect people from themselves. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, if you saw someone, I know this is a silly analogy, but if you saw someone with a nail stuck in their shoe, and you see this little trail of blood behind them, and you're like, they might get offended if I, like, like go and tell them. No, of course you'd be like, can I help pull that nail out of your shoe? You're bleeding. Or imagine with the shepherd. Imagine a shepherd seeing a sheep wandering toward a cliff. And he, he wrings his hands and says, that sheep might get angry at me. Might be offended that I'm telling him what to do and not to do. No, the shepherd would run to the sheep. An, an elder must be able to confront people with their sin. Do people want to be confronted with their sin? No, but it's the most loving thing to do. Parents, isn't that one of the most loving things you can do to confront your children with their sin? To tell them, I'm concerned about the trajectory of your life. If you continue on this path, it does not lead good places. That's a loving parent, right? It is a loving shepherd to say to someone, I'm concerned of the trajectory of your life. If you continue on this path, it does not lead good places. A good shepherd must protect sheep from themselves. You know, in extreme cases, this looks like church discipline. Matthew 18 lays this out. It says if someone sins against you, go and show them their fault. And then if they won't listen, you take someone with you, two people. Go to that person. And then what happens? If they don't listen, you take it to the church. You get the church involved. And so then the elders come to that person and say, you have a pattern of sin we're very concerned about. And they, get, they work real slow. One thing about elders is they work slow because they, you want to give time for people to repent, to turn from their sins. And if they continue on the same trajectory, they will not. This is this remembers. This protection does not. This is another reason to join a church. It doesn't mean you are, it's just any church. It's because then you come under the protection. We're not going to do church discipline with someone who's not a member. We're not going to protect you. You can go off a cliff. I mean, we might still say something, but not in the same way because you have not committed yourself to us and we've not committed ourselves to you. This is the whole purpose of that, that we would know who are the people who've committed. Rebuking, correcting, confronting, spurring. These are all parts of what a good shepherd does. It's what a good parent does. So elders must do it too. So your first enemy is the sinful flesh. There's another internal threat. It's wolves in the church. Wolves in the church. Acts 20. Paul says, he's talking to the elders at Ephesus. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you. 
not sparing the flock. And from your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remember that for three years I did not cease night and day to admonish everyone with tears. Paul is saying there's a time elders to admonish people. If there are wolves in the church, I've, I've not known a church that there don't end up being wolves in it. Why? Because Satan hates the church and he lies to people and convinces them to try to destroy it. Titus 1, again, an overseer, elder, must hold firm to the trustworthy word is taught so he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. An elder must be able to rebuke. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, he says to Titus, that they may be sound in the faith. Elders are to guard the flock from wolves. Wolves can create havoc in a church by their gossip, false doctrine, wicked lives, stirring up conflict, divisiveness. Elders must be willing to step in out of love. Matthew 7.15 says, Beware of false prophets, this is Jesus, who come in in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Are ravenous wolves. Elders must have courage to confront people who are acting as wolves. It's often true that strong-willed, outspoken, highly opinionated people in churches will take over unless leaders intervene. If leaders do nothing, I mean, yeah, have you guys ever been in a church that's happened? Many of you have probably been in churches that happened. The loudest person with the biggest personality gets their way. It should not be so. Elders have committed themselves to protect the flock. Well, there's another enemy, so we have internal ones, our, our flesh, wolves. But what about the world? What does the world do? Think about that for a second. Watch where I find my water. There we go. What does the world do? How does the world lie to believers? Well, maybe the world might say, your gender is your decision. Would the world ever say such a preposterous thing? Ridiculous, but no. I mean, you would have, everyone would have laughed 10 years ago, 20 years ago. No one would have believed it. But now, it's in our schools, it's everywhere, that abortion is fine. What a wicked lie. There's many other destructive lies that the world is pressing upon people constantly. Constantly. There's a narrative. Whose job is it to protect the flock from believing these lies? From young children. Imagine the young children in this room now being so deceived that they would think their gender was their decision. Who will protect these children? It should be the elders of the church who would plead with them, do not believe. Listen to what Scripture says. God made them male and female. If an elder will not stand against the culture, he is no elder at all. Ooh, what about this? Kids, you get to participate. What about this lie? This is for your parents. Your parents are being lied to to make their career their God and worship it first. You could say to them, because you just say the Ten Commandments. No, that would be breaking the what commandment? To make it their God and worship it. That's right, I see a few fingers. That's right, the first commandment. Have no other gods before me. 
Now, the world wouldn't lie to your parents that way, would it? Absolutely. Make it their God. Make it their God. The last enemy. Who do we have left? Oh, Satan. We probably should talk about him. And his demons. Ephesians 6, 12. We're going to wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, The gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. He did not say that hell will not fight against his church. He said it will not prevail against his church. But he has established his elders to stand in the middle. Now, it's not that we're greater than Satan. Am I more powerful than Satan? Absolutely not. But I can point you to Scripture and say that Scripture says in James 4, 7, and 8, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. 1 John 4, 4. He who is in you is greater than he is in the world. And so part of our job is to help people not be deceived by Satan as he tries to intimidate them. So now you've heard the job description of an elder. Sound overwhelming? You might feel like I could never know and feed and lead and protect a bunch of sheep. If you're feeling like that, that's probably a healthy humility. I mean, if you responded to this and said, man, I could do that in my sleep, we would have a problem. Humility is healthy. Humility is healthy. Our passage even says this. Verse 5 says this. Right? It says, humble yourselves. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We all need this humility. But if you're feeling like you can't do this, I want to remind you, who wrote this? Kids, who do you think wrote First Peter? Peter. Yeah, there we go. Peter. Peter wrote this. Now, when Peter was writing this, and he said that, I've, I've seen the suffering of Christ. Shepherd the flock that's among you. What do you think in his mind he was thinking about? What memory was he remembering? Think about it. What was his greatest moment of failure? I mean, an earlier Peter might have said, yeah, I could do that in my sleep. Sure, I can feed him and lead him and protect him, know them. But at the end, he failed big time, didn't he? He denied Christ three times. He denied Christ three times? He did. Do you remember what happened afterwards? Do you remember? This is from John 21. This is when he had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? This is after the resurrection. Do you love me, Simon? The last time they looked at each other's faces was when he was in the prize, right after he denied him and the rooster crowed. He said, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said it a third time. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Jesus was restoring Peter. Peter was not the Pope, but he was an elder, an apostle. And he did shepherd the sheep. He did know them. He fed them. He led them and protected them. 
God is calling some of you to do that in our church. Please be praying. Please be praying. Pray if God is calling you to do that. I mean, if he can raise up Peter, he certainly can raise up some of you. The Lord does not raise up mighty men. He raises up weak men. Look at me. He chooses the, the weakest, the most foolish to do his work. If you aren't a member, please consider joining so you can be fully part of this flock. We'd love to have you a part so you can nominate, you can vote, you can be shepherded. We would love to care for you. It is our desire. If you are a member, ask yourself, who do I want to know me? Who do I want to feed me? Who do I want to lead me? Who do I want to protect me? Those are the people you should be nominating because you're placing yourself under their authority. And when do you ever get to choose your own boss? We need to choose our authorities. This is the way God has set it up, that the, the flock chooses their shepherds. As we close, I want to steal a little bit of thunder from next week because it's in my passage for this week. Look at verse 4. You might think listening to this, wow, that's a lot of pressure on the elders. And when the chief shepherd appears. Chief shepherd? Who's that? It ain't me. Who's the chief shepherd? Jesus. You will receive the unfading crown of glory. Who is the head of this church? Jesus. He's the one who's perfectly knowing you. He is the one who is perfectly feeding you by his word. He is the one who is leading you perfectly. And he is the one who will perfectly protect you. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the good shepherd. Lord, we thank you that you are perfectly doing all those things because every human elder falls short, I know. That includes me. Lord, I want to do a better job at all these things even as I look at the high calling you've given me. You've given Brandon, you've given some of these men here or men you'll bring to us in the next months. Lord, I pray that you would do something. Lord, you've done big things. You've grown the church. Now we pray that you would really sink deep roots, that you'd move in people's hearts to decide if they want to commit to be a flock or if you're calling them somewhere else. If you're calling them to be a shepherd of the sheep, Lord, please, Holy Spirit, begin to stir in people's hearts to aspire to this. You say in your word that's a good thing to aspire to. Lord, we need shepherds to carry this burden with Brandon and I. Lord, please provide them. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this gift that you are the shepherd. You made us sheep. We were all rebels. I never would have chosen to be your sheep if you hadn't came and got me. Lord, it's true of all of us. We thank you that you have gathered us. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.